Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Rising Sun Podcast. I'm Dean Howell. Hey, before I get started today, I just want to really talk about Prize Crew Coffee. My homeboy, he's in the Navy. Let's just be real about it. He's Senior Chief Quartermaster up there in the Pac Northwest. His name's Chris McGrew. I've had him on here a couple times. Listen, Prize Crew Coffee is some of the best coffee I've ever had, man. I know everybody's selling coffee these days, right? You got Black Rifle, you got Caveman. You really should check out. Price Crew Coffee, I mean, they have an air roaster, which I didn't know was a fucking thing. They got white coffee. got all this shit, man, and personalized packages when he sends them to you. He also does coins and hats and whatnot, but anyways, check out PriceCrewCoffee.com. Hey, all right, man, y'all are in for a treat today. I got Billy, one each, fucking Turner on the podcast. You guys will be able to see his bio in the episode description. But, dude, this motherfucker right here and I go way back, and we have had, I will say, a somewhat tenuous relationship over the years. Um, but I fucking love the guy, man. I always have. And uh, there's a good chance I get emotional on this podcast. I've, I've been avoiding it um, for a while, if I'm being totally honest, just because I love the dude. And I know that I was uh, kind of a piece of shit to him uh, for many years. So keeping it real, right? But uh, anyways, hey, Billy, what's up, man? You and your fucking, uh, you and your garage slash living accommodations. What's going on, man? Well, yeah, uh, hooked up to the computer now. I was going to try to do this on the phone, but this is a much better, uh, much better. Um, every day around this time, uh, me and some of the bros sit around and have beer and smokes and bullshit and watch YouTube videos. And uh, we got a cat in here. And so that's our reality right now. This this engine right here, there was only there's only 720 of those in the United States. It's an inline five-cylinder Audi legendary rally car motor. Um, I'm trying to put together the naturally aspirated wiring harness with the turbo one, and I have to repin and program the ECU. And if there's any car guys, uh, this is like level 10. Um, but uh, yeah, we're just chilling right now. And uh, I got your Rising Sun podcast hat on. And I just I today that. found out that it's spelled Rising Sun, S-O-N. I thought it was because you were in Japan, Rising Sun, like the flag. And I guess it has the same so name. I got I to ask you, man. I got to ask you, Billy, like, do you feel like that's kind of presumptuous of me to, to name it the Rising Sun with the S-O-N? I don't think presumptuous. Everyone is a Rising Sun, if you think about that. Everyone is someone's son. <laughs> but the Rising Sun... I thought it was the Master Chief in the Japan. Like, I thought it was about <laughs> that, you know? So, I mean, really, uh, what you just said is kind of what I'm going for, though, man, is that, like, everybody's a rising sun. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, uh, like you said, yeah. known each other for 20 years. Um, and I, by the way, never thought you were a piece of shit to me. You just sometimes are a shot of uh, calm down and realization and stuff like that because I tend to want to go off off the reservation and get crazy, you know. We didn't really <laughs> hang out that much in other places. I know you guys used to go to Fukuoka, you and TJ. And uh, yeah. I was never gone for those long trips. But I wish I would have done more yeah. in Japan. Looking back, I regret not, like, going to sunken gardens and seeing shrines and all that stuff because 
we don't have that here. Yeah. You know, that place is thousands of years old. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, time, dude. Our time in Japan together, I felt like it was mostly Maybe, yeah. underway. Yeah. Smoke pit. Yeah. <laughs> it was, man. We were like underway. It's hard to really explain to people how much we were underway. I mean, it like 280 out of 365 was, that was like par for the course, bro. And then yeah. you might do like a 300 out of 365 underway. Um, <laughs> you know, and so like when you try to explain that to people, they don't really understand like, yo, bro, like, <laughs> like we were getting after it. Like we were getting the fuck after it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Are you still, are you on a ship now? Do you get underway still? Fuck no, man. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, do you miss it? Like, Come on, bro. I wised <laughs> up. I wised up, man. I wised up. <laughs> there, there, there's I one of you on every, now. every ship has a you, right? A Master Chief. Yeah. So yeah. somebody's got them. You missed that? Yeah, and I know all of them. I know. I mean, man, I, I miss the ship, um, but I don't, I don't like it. It's one of those things at this point. I mean, come on, Billy, let's be real. I've been doing this a, a little while at this point, And it's like, I'm kind of at that point in my career where like, uh, there's a bunch of young, motivated, you know, charged up dudes that want to go do that. And, um, I'm happy to support them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder what yeah. the approval would be like if I ran chits to you, you know? You have to say yes or no to people's requests. You that know, shit would like, go right I, across my desk. Unless it was some crazy shit. Unless it was like, listen, <laughs> listen, hey, I'm being 100%, bro. Unless it's some crazy shit that I read it, and I'm like, the fuck is this dude asking for, right? If it wasn't that, um, then I'd be like, yes. Yes. Now, it wasn't always that way, but like, I've become much more of a sailor advocate in my older years um, where like, Hey man, why are we saying no to shit? Like if the motherfucker has good intentions and even if, it, even if it was a crazy request, like maybe he just doesn't know what he's asking for. Let's help him try to figure out a way to get to yes kind of thing. Right. Cause dude, we shit on our fucking sailors so much that like, like dude, I'm a, I, when it comes to sailors, I'm a fucking yes, man. Like, yeah, I want to take leave. Okay, cool. Take leave. I want, I want to get married to a Filipina. Okay. You sure? Okay. I'll support you. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> what about skill bridge? Right. Asking to go skill bridge. Have you, have you signed off on those? So yeah, dude. So yes. In my last job in Misawa. So I got a bunch of chiefs that work for me. And, um, as a, as a matter of policy in my last job, it was as long as we can support the mission. And I know that's a loose term, right? But like, we were really um, meticulous about how we reviewed those chits. And I'll tell you, man, like one of the first things I talked to about, talked to my chiefs about when I got here was, okay, fuck man. I feel like I'm on your fucking podcast, Billy. Shit, let's go, man. So no, look, Dave is here. Dave um, is here. No, 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 no. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Let's talk about skill bridge. So here's the thing about skill bridge is, um, I support it hundred percent because I believe that in the Navy, we do the absolute worst job 
of transitioning our service members into civilian life. We're the worst. I've served with the Army. I've served with the Air Force. I've seen how the Marine Corps does it, and we fucking suck at it, right? We're like, uh, what do you want to do? Okay, cool. Like, like do your job, and then when you get out, you can worry about that. And in, in the other services, they're like, you know, you've got like a year holding period where it's like, oh, you're getting out? Well, let's let's prepare you for transition kind of thing. And uh, we're so fucking bad at it, dude, right? And um, and so, yeah, skill bridge, dude, I've, I, I have not declined or recommended no on any skill bridge request that's crossed my desk. Matter of fact, I got a diver, right? I got, because um, I have divers at my current command, and um, I've got a diver right now that is doing skill bridge here in Japan virtually, right? Wow. Um, and the CEO was like, what is this? I was like, well, let me explain it to you. This is what we're doing, right? And so, like, he doesn't come to work, dude. He's in his last He's in his last six months, so, like, he's going to do, like, a four-month skill bridge. He does it at night, obviously, because of the time difference. And then, you know, and then when he's done with that, then we'll transition him out, right? Um, he's a second class. Second class, you know, well, he's an ND2. He's not a second class diver. He's an ND2. And um, he's not a two-chuck. Yeah, dude, I support skill bridge, like. Hundred percent. Not fucking two, Chuck. Right? Exactly. So, anyways, dude. Hey, Billy. Let's uh, let's go back to this. Okay. So, um, I've known you. I've known you as like Navy, you know, fucking Billy, right? Um, but like I always kind of start my podcast like this. Like, what's 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 the fucking Billy Turner fucking origin story, man? Like, where are you from? How did you grow up? siblings, parents, um, kind of like how you found your way to the Navy and then kind of like um, to, to, I guess, adulthood. Like what's what's the Billy Turner origin story? Okay. I um, was born January 9th, 1982 in Fort Worth, Texas on Carswell Air Force Base. My mother and father were both in the Air Force. My mom left him with a cat, a cup, and a bowl from what I remember and uh, started a life in Florida without him and married my dad who raised me. Grew up in Florida doing Florida man stuff. I had a John boat. I used to fix my outboard motors. Well, that was the first thing I ever really broke and fixed was an outboard motor. And uh, <clears throat> my mom was uh, kind of depressed and like made us all do a bunch of chores. And one summer I was unloading the dishwasher and I asked a question about dinner and she was like, it's fin for yourself night. And I said, it's always fend for yourself night around here. Like, this is bullshit. You have us kids doing all this labor. She's like, oh, you motherfucker. She grabbed the pot out of the dishwasher and hit me in the head with it. And so that is why I joined the Navy. I basically left home because my mom hit me in the head with a pot. And then, uh, and yeah. then I went and, and joined, uh, went to boot camp. I was working at a go-kart laser tag place. And I remember we were talking about this yesterday, this uh, when kids turn in tickets, I used to give them the Pokemon cards. I didn't know anything about it, but uh, my buddy s said he had some million-dollar one when he was a kid. His mom threw it away. Anyway, that was yesterday. That was yesterday's <laughs> real-life podcast. Here, but, um, <clears throat> okay, joined the Navy. Yeah, uh, made it through boot camp, barely. Uh, my, my RDC uh, recruit division commander told me I was the worst recruit he'd ever had. I was 111 pounds. <laughs> Jeez. I never got asked mode or anything, but yeah. Uh, you know, you know, those people in boot camp with the red, um, they have red and they go and halt. Uh, 
yeah. don't know what they're called, but I was at the NEX with this other recruit. We were allowed to go and use the phones and he stole a Snickers bar and got caught by the NEX staff. So I had to like walk back by myself. So I'm walking by myself in these red, this is kind of paints a picture of what kind of person I was. <laughs> they were like, and halt. And I'm by myself and they couldn't see my name tag from there. So I fucking booked it. I ran because I knew if they caught me, I, I was going to get everyone in trouble and it was going to be a big deal. So I just sprinted back and uh, I never got caught for that. But that was just a boot camp story that I remember. And I fell asleep on the day you're supposed to shoot the gun and they kicked me off. The guy's like, get off my range. And so I had never shot a gun my entire life until Swick school, but we'll get to that. Um, okay, so I was in the Navy. Oh, yeah. Uh, undesignated fireman. Went to Japan, got stationed on the Essex. I was in A-Gang. And uh, it, it was time for me to take the e, E4 exam because um, I had, when I went on RAP duty, I put five people in the Navy in three days. No, three people in the Navy in five days when I went back home. My, my recruiters there gave me credit for that. And when they told me I could either have a NAM or E3 and it would all be backdated. And I was like, yeah, I'll take that. So I was ready to take the E4 yeah. exam. I didn't know what rate. And I don't know if you remember Master Chief Daniel Panganilinan. Do you remember him? <laughs> yeah. He yeah, goes, yeah. Hey, you're doing a good job. <laughs> you should be an electrician. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> he was like, exactly. But he wouldn't send me to A school. <laughs> they didn't send me to A school, yeah. you know. So I, I just became an EM and I went from A gang to the EM gang, which was quite a gang. Every day at lunchtime, there was peas <laughs> and rice and uh, balut, balut naka. Yeah, I learned a little bit of Tagalog from those guys. You know, being an electrician, you don't need to be a citizen. So I remember this guy, Arnel Baroga. He would all be like, hey, turn around, man, let me get a cigarette. He'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I learned how to say some things from them, man. Come here is like halikadito. Uh, yeah, I learned about different languages in the Philippines, you know. And anyway, that was a good time. That's what I remember about being an electrician. And I remember you were not even in the engineering department, but somehow we were in charge of like a fire team. I remember that. But the, okay, the first time I was, first time I ever met you, you were friends with Dave. I was an E five, a frocked EM two. This was right before I went to jail. And you were an E3 and you were chipping and grinding uh, a space on the O2 level with Dave. And then, uh, you know, we parted ways. And then I hear like, he tells me, Oh, uh, Dean's a master chief. Now I was like, what? Like check my, how long has he been in? Like we were in like around the same time. I came in August, 2000. You're probably, probably not even probably after that. Right. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Back in about a year later. Yeah. Yeah, so most notably, uh, aside from my quick ascension to E5 as a 19-year-old, I got my ESWAS pin and my air pin, and uh, I became pretty good at doing electricity stuff. You know, I was the EPCP operator down in the pit, and uh, I wanted to be the engineering officer of the watch. I wanted to board for that, but they wouldn't let me because I was an electrician and I was only an E5 because it's more of a responsibility thing, not a how-much-do-you-know thing. So... Um, I mean, you, you, yeah, you, you, they would let you do it with zero engineering knowledge because of your ability to lead people. Whereas <laughs> I know just as much as every guy in front of every machine, but that's not my job. <laughs> I have uh, a much better relationship with, yeah. with machines than I do people. I mean, anyway, 
so Time in Japan, yeah. Uh, me and Dave went to jail July 4th, 2003 for drinking uh, and walking home with no money. That's what we got arrested for. Now, the rest of it was decisions that one of us made. <laughs> so, hey, let's go. Come on, tell the story, man. Let's go. The plan was, all right, we lived on the top of this mountain called Akasaki Cho. And Akasaki, baby. Akasaki, the meaning of Saka Express. <laughs> I'm trying. Anyway, uh, so we lived on top of this mountain that was uh, a, a much, a much higher grade that you'd want to stroll in our condition. So we didn't have any money for a taxi, and we're walking. And there's an alley coming up on the left. I have to pee, so I'm peeing in the alley. And then uh, Numbnuts over there, he decides that this open garage door means he can go in there first of all he goes in there and sees the moped on its center kickstand so it's perfectly straight up and down and it has those like hand grips you can reach your hands into because if you're cold but the key was in the ignition so he started it and he pulls up next to me i'm done pissing and he goes let's take this up there we'll get the money and bring it back and then uh you know we'll be good and i'm like yeah that that I got a thousand yen on my dresser, you know, like we can do that. That's fine. So we were basically going to borrow this thing, but he didn't know how to sh drive a manual transmission. He was grinding the gears. It was like a Honda Cub. So it was a three speed. He was like, <laughs> well, with all that racket, he woke up freaking Hitachi or whatever. And, uh, he, uh, what was his name? Actually, he owns a Chinese restaurant. He, he told us we can come back whenever because of Gomenesai. But uh, anyway, he gets on there, grinds the gears, and I'm like, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Get on the back, and I'll get on. And so I start driving us, and uh, the police, the, the guy called the police, and we were in like a slow-speed chase. Like the, the red lights are flashing. That's the only red over there. <laughs> and uh, so, so I'm like, <laughs> so I duck down the sidewalk, and uh, – <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. We go. had a high center of gravity because there was a milk crate on the back where the guy kept his little items. Dave was sitting on top yeah. of the milk crate with his feet down near my waist. So like there's a lot of weight up above us. And I tried taking a left to go like uh to our front door sidewalk area and we've we top sided this thing. It didn't really hurt it that bad, but he fell off, I fell off, and then like the police came over and separated us and show me ID, show me ID. And they like, bam, like smit, like put me on the hood. And Dave's over there trying to like counsel me through it. He's like, don't say anything. <laughs> like, so they put us in separate cars, <laughs> separate cells. And then we basically got interrogated every day. Uh, I call it interrogation, but the, the detective would give me a lucky strike cigarette break at nine o'clock. And then take me in this room handcuffed and ask me questions. And they would point to the map and they would say like, where were you right here? And the, what time was this? And where, you know, they, they wanted to know every detail. And since we were being separated, I didn't know what was, what he was going through or anything, but Japanese jail was crazy. I had to play charades with my uh, cellmate to find out what he was in for. And there's nothing but tatami mats on the floor. And there's a very small mesh on the chain. The, uh, the, uh, what do you call it? The bars as they would be. It's more like uh, hard chicken wire. You can't even stick your finger. Your tip of your finger can't even be free from the, the confines of the cell. And I had to like 
ask the guy, the guard in the middle, it was, it was shaped like a pie, and the guy in the middle could flush your toilet for you because there was no way for you to do it. So I remember how to say that. Sumimaten, Sanjo Anigashimas. But I had to say yeah. something about three, cell number three. Anyway, uh, there was all sorts of other people's pubic hair on the floor while I was sleeping. I read every book they had. But I asked my guy, since I didn't speak any Japanese, my, I had two cellmates, and I asked them both what they were in for like this. <laughs> it was like charades. I was like, I uh, drunk uh, take moped. And he's like, ah, so, so. I uh, drunk uh, fighting. And I'm like, oh, you got in a, like a bar fight. You know? and, <laughs> and I was like, I'm yeah. a, a Navy electrician. He's like, ah. I, uh, uh, paint, uh, ship. So he was a ship painter, <laughs> went to jail yeah. for in a bar fight, you know, and I'm like in the Navy and I went to jail for taking a moped. So yeah, I was yeah. in there 13 days and my divo at the time was like this junior officer. She came in and was like, eh, it looks pretty bad. Like they're gonna, they're gonna kick you out. And if it would have just been me, I guarantee you that would have happened. But because yeah. golden boy, was uh, was in with the legal department and knew Vicky, old, uh, old, um, old Vicky Turan. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say last names. I, I, I would not have said. I'm fuck. <laughs> She's civilian now. She'd be I. Right. Yeah, she pretty much saved my ass via through him. You know, with that summary court martial. But everybody on the ship hated us yeah. when we came back. We secured liberty for the entire Seventh Fleet because it was a international vehicular theft. It, moped incident you know um so i lost my orders to go recruiting in florida because of that incident um and i lost my frog yep. e5 status so i was an e4 em3 and my orders had got canceled to go recruiting in my hometown i had already made it through all that process um so they forced detailed me to washington state to uh, eod mobile unit 11 and that was a job where i was operating boats um but I was a coxswain for the divers, you know, like the EOD techs themselves would need yep. to go out of the way yep. and I would fix the boats and uh, work on the boats, drive the boats. And I noticed those guys kind of had like a better life. You know, they had like hotter wives and cooler cars and they, nobody told them to get haircuts and shit. And all they did was work out. They left early. No one cared about their hours. You know, I felt like I was punching a clock and working for somebody who was like, you can't be gone till three 30, even if you're not doing anything. I was like, I mean, we have a famous saying at special Bowl team 12, at least was if you ain't got nothing to do, don't do it here. And a lot of the Navy doesn't think that way. And they should, because we're not paid hourly. So you're just yeah. losing out on your life. If, if you have nothing to do, you shouldn't be here anyway. So I was at the EOD mobile unit place and I kind of got the bug for mainly jealousy motivated me. And I was like, I want to work out and I want to, you know, stop eating fast food and be on a diet and stuff. So I, I basically out of jealousy, just completely changed who I was. I started working out like crazy and eating right. And, uh, but I was, they wanted me to like put in a package is what they call it at the EOD. And it's like put in a package. And I didn't really want to do EOD because I grew up in Florida around boats and I love working on cars and I like motors and stuff. And I figured Swick was more my thing. And I remember seeing the all hands magazine back in 2006. It had like a 
I saw a car coming in sideways, shooting up a huge spray. And a guy was on a, like a, a Gal 19 or some kind of rotary machine gun. And, uh, I was like, damn, I want to do that. So I went to SWIC school in 2006, class 5-4, and I did not graduate. I had issues with an instructor. And five days before the end of the first part of it, basically, I had to go back to the Navy. So I got stationed at Swarmick, Southwest Regional Maintenance Center. It's on um, 32nd Street. And they put me in the electrician yep, shop. I'm familiar. Well, they put me in the electrician shop. And so... Remember, the last electric thing I did was on the Essex, and then I got to go play with boats at the EOD command, and, you know, I wasn't really being like a hardcore electrician. I was being just generally like kind of like what I am now, just kind of a little bit of everything. Um, and then after that, I went to Twix school, and I got exposed to that whole, you know, lifestyle. And so now that, like, failure behind me, I've got to go back into the Navy. So they put me in an electrician shop, and the, the floors are painted terracotta. It's hot. There's no air conditioning. And this is fucking warehouse. And these long-haired Filipino guys are all together. And I'm the only white guy. And I nobody was active duty but me. It was the only job there that was an active duty billet. And I was like, I went to the Manning guy. And I was like, man, is there? can I go work with the divers? I was like, I used to work with the EOD command. Um, you know, I can go work over there with the Swarmic divers. And he goes, I mean, you can go ask them. So I just went over to that command and like bing bong, like knocked on the door and this Y and one yeah. answer and this Y and one answered the door and he's like, can I help you? And I was like, uh, yeah, hi. Uh, <laughs> I was just wondering if I could work here. And he's like, who the <laughs> hell is you? <laughs> That's what he said. He goes, where do you come from? I said, I came from the Manning office. They told me if you guys say I could work here as an EM, then, then he'll allow it. And I was like, come on, man, I, I don't want to go over there and work in this warehouse and uh on electrical stuff and he and he's like well, hold on let me get the master chief so master chief scully was his name he was a navy diver master diver master chief and he came down talked to me for a, a minute and said like sure i guess we'll find something for you to do and so by the end of that command i was working out trying to go back to swick school really was my focus so i was there for three years and so, well, almost three years, I transferred to Swick School in two, late 2008. And then I made it through that time. So class 6-4, graduated. There was uh, 88 guys that started in my class. Or no, no, 44 guys, because they have a TAC-1 and a TAC-2 is how it goes. Um, 44 guys started in my class, 5-4 TAC-1, and only five of us graduated. And then the TAC-2 class went through, and we all went through uh, CQT together. So I graduated became SB2, I was already in E5, so SB2 in like December of 2009 or something like that. Then I transferred to Special Boat Team 12, and checked into my first command, went to Kenya for my first deployment as a SWIC, and uh, I was in Djibouti, Somalia, uh, where else did I go over there? Um, I had to go to Camp Lemonnier for a while. I got in trouble while I was in Africa on my first deployment because I worked on <laughs> I worked on a base that was like uh, it's called Manda Bay, and there was this senior chief there that didn't really like that we weren't getting haircuts and weren't shaving and shit like that. And he he even opened up. He had the CBs build a barbershop, and then he had a guy who knew how to cut hair work in there just so he could come tell us 
you guys can't say you can't get haircuts anymore because we, we now have a barbershop and we were still like, fuck you, dude. Like totally different. Like we're not even our request for forces didn't even come from you. This is just a base that we're using. And uh, he didn't like us. And, and one night we were shooting baboons because the locals had a problem with the baboons and the locals would shoot the baboons. And so they would eat them, too. So we were helping them. But the senior chief got all pissed because I was driving the Polaris through the uh, what do you call it? volleyball court that they built. Like I was doing a, a drifting this Polaris through the volleyball court, and but we were we were doing some drinking with the contractors too. And also, we were the only one allowed to leave the base because we were carrying all the time. And so they were super jealous because we could go do alcohol runs at night. You know, we could go to the little sorry store and grab some beer. Some uh, what is that African beer called? Uh, Bariyakazi. Uh, Bariyakazi means have a beer after work. <laughs> so, <laughs> Over there, man, they had these crazy centipedes. I remember the first day I got there, we were unloading our, our shit onto the camp, and I saw a, it, it looked like a hockey puck. It was a centipede all rolled up around its own babies inside of a, a, a can that somebody was using as a doorstop. I was like, oh, fuck, it was the most gnarly alien thing. And just Africa in general, you know, like you get right off the plane, and we're driving by a field of burning trash, and cows are eating out of something that they find there and we're just whoa totally you know the air is thick smog stinks there's like tires burning and every like like pillars in the distance everywhere you look and screaming and uh mopeds and little kids carrying littler kids <laughs> so yeah that's what i remember about that people threw rocks at us and stuff uh while we were driving not like you know in person but i didn't know why i think we're allies i don't know why the reason I went there was to train the Kenya, the Kenya Special Boat Unit, you know, the KSBU. Yeah. Loosely, yeah. loosely allies, I would say. <laughs> yeah, man. I actually, we did a lot of 1149 packages where you would just give them equipment and boats and stuff. And I don't know if you've ever been on a safe boat, those aluminum boats that have the, uh, like the rib around the outside. Coast Guard uses them and stuff. <clears throat> They're pretty high dollar boats, yeah. right? Well, we had given them a lot of them with yeah. twin mercury verado supercharged engines that are 18 grand a piece you know and these boats are laying on their sides and they're all corroded and nothing works because they didn't have any fresh water to rinse them or they just didn't i don't know but uh we put on a whole training program yeah. down there I, I i still have lifelong friends from then instructor agutu he was this guy that used to yell at this kid named golicha he'd be like golicha way way because this guy was a huge pussy he couldn't swim you know we, we had everyone had to swim but the baboons would hang out in the swimming pool. And so for whatever reason, baboons aren't scared of white people, but they are of the locals. And so they'll come up to us and we'll like give them stuff because they're kind of threatening. Baboons are uh, terrifying, actually. They're way stronger than us, but uh, they run away from the locals because the locals will always run them away. Um, I just remember that about being in the pool with Galicia. He was about drowning in this this pool full of baboon shit. And I thought of how terrible that would be, you know, suck in the water with baboon shit in it. <laughs> <laughs> Go eat you. Wait, wait, yeah. That was pretty fucking awful. Yeah. Agutu had a wife and a girlfriend and the, the wife knew about the girlfriend, but it, it was like totally normal, you know? And uh, that's just how it is over yeah. there. I was going to impersonate him, but I'm not going to do that. I, st I still remember how he talks. I'm having some <laughs> ale today from Ginger Hill. Yeah. 
All right, good, man. Good. I got a little, I smoked a little weed with Dave earlier, so. That's good, man. I'm having bubbly. It's uh, sparkling water. That comes from also, over there. Motherfucker, I got an NEX, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> where I get all my supplies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. So went to Africa and then um, First did multiple deployments. I know you, you landed in the Philippines a couple times and whatnot. But uh, so basically from 2008-ish until retirement, you were an SB, right? So you you <laughs> no, there's an incident fucking there fulfilled too. the dream and, and, and then moved on to the next thing, right? So like where, no. where all did you end up going, man? No, I fucked up. I, I tripped at the finish line. I, at 17 years, I lost my... We'll get there. We'll get there, bro. We'll get there. We'll get there. I know. Right. I know. I remember. Let's go. Yeah. Like so, so bring me up to that point, motherfucker. Let's go. Okay, okay. So uh, I, I I got kicked out of Manda Bay for the, for the baboon incident and whatever, and I had to go to Camp Somalia, which is in uh, Djibouti. And I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't there on like good terms, but I ended up making it a good thing, you know? So I became like the, the NSW, like uh, I had to give the commander's update brief to Colonel Bupere was his name. Soxy, Special Operations Crisis Command Response Element or whatever, is a base within side Camp, uh, did I say Somalia? Camp Limonier. Somalia yeah. is who tastes wine. Is that what I said? <laughs> yeah, Somalia is a wine uh, taster, dude. They whisk it, they drink it, they, you know, and then they spit it out like a bunch of dumbasses. Anyways, yeah. continue. Okay, so I, I was I was giving the updates to the commander every Monday, and I ended up going out on patrols and stuff with the uh, army that was there. <clears throat> and so I had a chance to get into some shit there, but it didn't happen. But uh, I wanted it to. So that was my time in Africa. I remember a lot of cool stuff about it. Uh, I planked on a camel. I have a picture of that. I wish I could make it flash on the screen, but I don't know how to do that. Um, yeah, what we're else? not that fancy here on the Rising Sun podcast, brother. Sorry. <laughs> There's no. People uh, gotta use their fucking imagination. They got yeah. They got. I got no fucking Jamie. You know what I'm saying? They gotta use their imagination with this motherfucker. Hey, you want some background music? If you ever have like an intro, I want this to be it. I have a pretty sick mouth trumpet thing, and I don't know if you've seen Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah use that so i'm pretty low budget over here man so like i have um i have an intro song that one of my friends back in texas uh allowed me to use um and uh but like if i'm being totally honest man like i just don't have the time to really like sit down on adobe premiere pro and also like my computer kind of sucks but um like to splice everything together like, it's just me, bro. Like, this is a fucking straight-up labor of love. But anyways, I got a cool-ass song. I'll give him a shout-out, man. So uh, it's a dude named Aaron Treese, and uh, he kind of he goes by Treese Kid. So you can look it up later, right? He's on he's on iTunes and shit. And uh, the, the intro song that I use on probably about 25% of the episodes that I actually have time to sit down and produce um, is, is a song called fucking uh, Countryside. It's pretty, it's pretty fucking dope, man. He's kind of like a, I guess I would say he's kind of like a country fucking Post Malone, if that makes sense. It's he's actually pretty fucking good, man. But like, 
never blew up or anything. He's just, but he's got some good shit. So, anyways, total of fucking side right there. I saw uh, I saw Post Malone talking to Jelly Roll in a picture on the internet the other day, and it, it kind of excited me. Like that'd be cool if those two got together. You know, kind of white trash. Uh, they fucking should, man. Uh, yeah, yeah Trees Trees Kid is is probably got a lot of uh, Jelly Roll tendencies, kind of thing before Jelly Roll even got big, right? So, um, anyways, yeah, man, like uh, that would be dope if they fucking did some kind of collaboration. I would I would be all over that shit. You know, so oh, anyway, so Africa, <laughs> so um, Africa finishes. Then, 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 where do you go? Up, went, went back, came back to California. Special boat team twelve went through workups. I've been to San Clemente Island like nine hundred times. I've shot probably a million rounds of fifty cal. Just training, you know, underway, all this stuff. For our cycle was six months. Deployed 18 months workup. So my next deployment was Philippines. I was in debt Bravo, Josh Lamont's debt. I still have lifelong friends from all these deployments. Still talk to them all. Like our daughters are friends. I've built an engine and sold it to one of my boat captain buddies. So it's a really close community just working with 10 guys. Like uh, like I'm in this DNC program right now. This, uh, and most of the people mm-hmm. in the class are on Skillbridge. That's why I was asking you. So this guy, Zach, yeah. he's an active duty chief, sits right next to me. And we were talking today about that. And uh, that's a little aside I'll get to, but. Um, yeah. Okay, so the Philippines. Yeah, I went to uh, Philippines. I was on of P, Joint Special Operations Task Force Philippines. We were, I think, again, under the Army, because, yeah, I got awards from that deployment, and they were Army awards. My highest awards are Army, anyway. But uh, <clears throat> so Philippines that time... I was a UAV operator, and that was the deployment where there was a spook with this uh, guy named Vinny. He was like a, a CTR in the Navy. They're like, a, they do things with technology or whatever. And we used to have to get underway with Yeah, Vinny. they're crypt- cryptologic, cryptologic technicians, loosely. Yeah, so there's a command that has these uh, like highly trained, selected people for that called SRTs, uh, something reconnaissance. I forget what it's called but they do all the human intelligence stuff. And so part of that deployment, we were getting underway every night just so Vinny could turn on this little machine that he has. And it kind of passively tracks signal things on networks or whatever it does with cell phone networks. I just know that we had to get underway every night and drive around the coastline, you know, get 10 dudes out all night driving around. It was a big, it was a big production. So I found a solution. Um, I was a UAV operator. I had this UAV called the Aqua Puma. It's got a four foot wingspan and a range of about 10 kilometers. It has a camera system on it and stuff. You, you can put an egg on top of the camera and then fly it over somebody and then release the camera and the egg will fall out. That was how I weaponized it. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> he had a, a cell phone that would do the same thing as this device, but he couldn't bring it on the boats because interference from wind noise or whatever. So. Uh, I told him, let's put it in the UAV. And we put it, there was a little spot next to the avionics. We put it in a Ziploc bag, flew that thing around. And I guess he got more data from that flight than he ever did us driving around the boat. So I saved us a lot of uh, unnecessary underways. That's for the taxpayers. Uh, you know, they made us do this stuff. Yeah, you're welcome. 
Um, I don't know what valuable data came out of the uh, South Philippines cell phone network. We were there next to Basilan. Basilan is an island off the south province of Mindanao. And uh, supposedly they planned 9-11 there. I don't know. But not, not obviously when I was there. But uh, uh, I was in the Navy when 9-11 happened. I was on the Essex. I was in my towel coming out of the uh, birthing. Everybody, know, everybody knows where they yeah. were. Uh, yeah. Dave and I were in boot camp, man. You were there in boot camp? Were they yeah, telling Dave you and I both were in boot camp. We're going to war. <laughs> we're training for war. Yeah, bro. Listen, I've told this story so many times. Like, you're so fucking, like, compartmented there, literally and physically, or, you know, figuratively. Um, and, like, one of my, one of the dudes came in, and he was at a dental appointment. He was like, he was like, yo, motherfucker, somebody just fucking flew a plane in the World Trade Center. We're like, shut the fuck up, dude. Like, like sit down, you know? And uh, he's like, no, I'm not fucking kidding. And so, like, in my mind, it was like a Cessna or something that had flown into the World Trade Center. And then, like, RDC walks in with a VHS and, like, pops it in and shows us the, the news. And you see, like, both of them. And uh, it was like, fuck, dude, giddy up. Let's fucking ride, man. That's what I signed up for. And then, yeah. I, and then I go be a fucking admin bitch on the fucking Essex, right? But whatever, <laughs> man. Like, uh, we, all do our, we all do our fucking part, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, that's pretty dope, man. That's like the fucking uh, – I mean, Mindanao was a hot fucking spot. Like, still is, but especially if you're looking at, oh, probably one, I guess, until probably like 08, 09. Like, Mindanao was super hot with Abu Sayyaf and like yeah, they, they had a were doing a lot of shit down there still. Yeah. The, the NAVSOG is what they're called, the, the, the Filipino SEALs. They were involved with the uh, 55th staff, the Special Action Force, the Philippine National Police. We worked with all those guys. And they had already been through a war, and they were trying to track high-value targets on South Barcelona Island. So we inserted some of the Filipino SEALs. Not all of them returned even, and only one of them had our radio, and that's actually not legal, so I won't even talk about that. But we got, we got some cool uh experiences in the philippines that deployment and then next deployment was back to back i came back and since i was a qualified boat captain there was a detachment that needed to deploy and their uh the guy that was sitting boat captain like couldn't pass the board but he so they basically just needed someone with the qual the qualification and that was me so i went right back out the door to the philippines again but this time it was on uh, like a chartered ship. I'm sure you've heard of the Kelly Schwest company. They have yeah, those yeah. Orange cream color. So I was on the, the yeah, the like MS MSV type joints. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I was on the MSV Sea Champion. And uh, come on, brother. Come on, brother. No, I don't know if you've heard of the Sea Champion. Been doing it long know. enough now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I know of. I know of the Sea Champion. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. There's there's one there's one um off the coast of Africa. I went on too. That was Damnex. That was the do you remember the couple that got uh, kidnapped? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, those guys from Damneck were out there on the Sea Champion. They're the ones that took care of it. But we, we were augmenting them. Nice. Yeah, so I got to go on that. That one has a flight deck on top and Wi-Fi and mm -hmm. a snack machine. The other one was kind of booty compared to that. But, you know, that's tier one yeah. funding. Somebody says, hey, we need Wi-Fi yeah, on this. Dude. You know, and they're like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're yeah. Call First of all, I need a boat. And then I need a boat that can keep boats. 
Right. And then I need Gucci ass armory and I need, yeah, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I need it's a tier one funding. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> we used to work out when it was, you know how like on ships they secure the weight room? It to these yeah. numb knuckles that I worked with, it was like a challenge. Like, see who can bench press at a 45 degree angle and shit. Like, yeah, the boat's rocking. <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing's gonna keep these yeah. guys from working out, not even rough seas. I mean, they're doing like <laughs> <laughs> like burpees, your head hits the fucking overhead, like yeah. oh. <laughs> dude. I worked with this yeah. guy. I, I I'm gonna I'll, I'm going to tell him to watch this just because I'm talking about him right now. His name is Brian Moser. He has a, a pretty sizable member that came out during morning PT <laughs> wearing short shorts. We were doing sprints and his entire, his, entire, his entire cock and balls was swinging and he didn't know it. And everyone was dying laughing. Like this guy just became a yeah. doctor of pharmacy. He just graduated some medical school and he's the most like knuckle dragging troglodyte guy you've ever met in your life. But, um, yeah. With an enormous cock. fucking member. Yeah. Horse cock. Yeah. It's like an antenna. He can lay on his stomach, <laughs> put it up and squeeze his legs together and it would hold it up. It's stuck up above his ass. Cheeks. Yeah, I bro. Mean, look at the physics. <laughs> I was fucking talking to my master diver yesterday, man. We had a dunk tank, you know, at the command, whatever, doing some fundraising and whatnot. And uh, and he's a little Filipino dude, right? Alalejo. And um, he was like, so he, he got in the dunk tank, and of course, you know, he had his fucking booty shorts on. What are they fucking called? The uh, UDTs. He had his fucking yeah, UDTs yeah. on. Uh -huh. And um, and I, I have a couple pair. He gave me a couple pair, right? And so like, yeah. during they're during called, like called, uh, chief season, like they're called catch me fuck me shorts. Like I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, anyways, and we were we were like laughing, blah blah blah. He's like. He's like, yeah, bro. Um, he's like, you know, when you, when we do the fucking PST in, uh, you know, in school, he's like, he's a Filipino dude, but he's from California. He's like, we do the PST at, at school. He's like, uh, you know, they tell you you can't wear underwear with your fucking UDTs. He's like, so you're holding people's fucking feet doing sit-ups, and their whole fucking shit is like hanging out the bottom of it. <laughs> I was like, okay. Thanks, Al. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks, brother. <laughs> I told, I've never figured out what is the practical reason those are so short. I got issued those, you know, and they even have like little cinch straps. I'll, I'll tell you why. You swam in them, right? You swam in them. You know what it is. For I mean, dude, had to. When when you're fucking when you're flipping, right? Like if it's just skin on skin, like you're much more streamlined, right? When your legs are fucking like boop 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 boop. But like if you've got like, I mean, it's the same reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shrinkage is a real thing, man. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> what I was getting at is, uh, <laughs> we, we we wore those only. I have no <laughs> idea what we were talking about before. Fucking dicks. UDT shorts and dicks. Uh, yeah, Brian Moser. I brought him up for a reason. Did it have yeah. to do with the Philippines? I don't fucking remember now. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, maybe looking yeah. back. Philippines second time. Um, yeah, we were swimming with, swimming with whale sharks, uh, you know, holding our breath to see who could swim under the ship and come out the other side. I did that. I made it under the sea champion. Um, it was a much more fun deployment. Oh, we were talking about the weight room and how the ship was moving. And Brian is the most troglodyte idiot that I know. And he has a huge cock. Yes. 
So he used to work out with the weights. He almost killed all of us with a grenade on the sea champion because he thought he wanted, he, we had a, <laughs> we had a seal, uh, like a seal chief on board who was, a. You know, like I'm a waterborne dynamic RSO for shoot movement on a waterborne range. This guy was an explosive mm. waterborne range. So he was a SEAL. They had explosives. We didn't have explosives. So he's like, you guys want to throw some grenades? Because we had expired grenades in our um, magazine on the Sea Champion. And so he's like, we might yeah. as well fucking blow them up, you know. And so he's teaching us the right way. And this is literally the only time I've ever thrown a grenade. You know, I sh I've shot a lot of... Uh, what do they call them? 40 Mike, Mike, uh, Mark 19 round, you know, mm -hmm. 39 low and high yeah. velocities. So I've shot a lot of those kind of grenades, but an actual like OG grenade, this is the only time I've ever done it. So I'm listening because yeah, I mean, you see it in the movies, it looks easy enough, but I'm, I'm this guy actually knows the rules, right? So we're listening and it's time and boom, I throw my grenade and you can hear it like wonk, kind of like reverberate off the ship because the engine room is down there and we're just kind of tossing it off. It's not doing any harm to the ship or whatever, but we wanted to see the explosion. So it's Brian's turn. And he used to do this thing whenever he's doing something laborious or hard. He'd go, Yitza! Like I'm opening a door or something like that. And so he did his Yitza thing, but he fucking sidearms the grenade and he's fucking around and like hits the deck of the sea champion. He hits the side of the sea champion. It's like, kink! And so that chief, like, bang, like kicked it off the the opening where the door was what do you call those things where seawater comes out a bulwark a bulwark i think is what it's called anyway yeah. obviously he got in trouble for that uh, but yeah <laughs> all of us with a grenade on the back deck yeah yeah and that's the reason Jesus. i was talking See, we, we came around figured it out <laughs> got it i'm with it crazy motherfuckers yeah so go to um so go to the Philippines. You did a couple of deployments to the Philippines, right? Yep. Those are the, yep. Two there, the, the yeah. back to back. So what point did you, um, what point did you, um, have your daughter, man? Like, oh, um, that was before Swick school, you know, just kind of, I, I don't know, like the whole relationship thing and how you got to your baby girl, man. Cause I know how important she is to you. Yeah. Well, um, so when I was at that dive command, in 2006 or seven or whatever, uh, I became friends with a few of the divers and I ended up working in Point Loma on the sub base. And my job mm -hmm. was to drive the 50 foot standard Navy dive boat every day. And the reason I got that gig is because their LPO who was running the place told, told me, Hey, I've got a generator on this boat. You're an electrician. Can you fix the generator? And I was like, sure, I'll come out there and do that. So I drove out there in a govy truck or whatever with some tools. And I got this generator working on the dive boat that previously had never worked or whatever. And he was like, oh, you're, you're like handy to have around or whatever. And I was like, hey, I'll, I'll work here every day if you guys let me. So I basically stationed myself out there. And I became friends with one of the divers out there. And um, he had a wife and kid, same age as my. I had a wife and kid too. And uh, <clears throat> so our daughters would hang out. Our wives would talk. And we like would work on motorcycles a couple times. But we were we were friends, and uh, we both kind of started like losing interest in our marriages, and we would see each other texting other people, and you know, showering after work, going to see somebody or whatever. So we were kind of both in that boat at the same time, and then eventually our wives 
you know, it's like, uh, move, like his wife moved back to Tennessee. Mine went back to Florida. And so we were like basically single at that point. So I was doing my thing, but, um, he was kind of reporting back to my wife, you know, and telling her all this shit and them two started talking and then they became a, a, an item. And I found out about that from his wife. She called me and said like, uh, you know, they're seeing each other. And so I got removed from the Point Loma gig and sent back to San Diego because he was a diver and more essential to the team and which is whatever. And so this is all before I went to SWIC school. And, uh, so basically my wife yeah, and him, right. they're still together. He's a, he's a master chief, master diver. Um, they don't like me. We don't get along. I, I try. I mean, I don't know why they, they still have like feelings against me. I'm the one who's like, don't, I don't get to see my daughter very often. You know, they're, they, he gets to raise my daughter. So that's the main thing. She's, <clears throat> she's 16 now. Um, she's very involved in like extracurricular things. She plays flute. She wanted to learn how to play cello. So I got her a cello. Um, she's got a job. She works at uh, she works for God's chicken. <laughs> That's a uh, Chick-fil-A except on Sundays. And then um, what else does she do? She's on, she was on the swim team. She did play softball. I, I talked to her a lot, but it's not like I can go out there and see her because I'm in the school right now and I don't have time off and, when I ask her, Hey, you want to come to San Diego for the summer? She's like, Oh, I got to work and I got this and that. So I'm, yeah. I'm, we're, when we get to the, where are you now thing? Like I've got a huge development that happened like this week, but um, yeah, that's how that. Pop- I'll tell you, man, hey, let's, 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 let's skip there, man. Let's skip to where you're at now. Because like, <laughs> I think that you've painted a, a pretty clear picture of like a resourceful, motivated, intelligent, ambitious young man that wanted to be a SWIC operator, which, you know, there's those of us that know what that is. And and for some people that may listen to this and not know what that is, like just kind of like going to that from like in-service procurement is a big fucking deal, dude. I'll, I'll tell you, man, like when I heard that you had went SWIC, I was like, who? Yeah. Are we talking about the same fucking Billy Turner? You talking about like, like he lactates by the pool, Guam, fucking Billy <laughs> Turner. Like he's a swick operator. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, yeah. I was going to bring that up. Right. Anyway, that, so like it'll get lost. It'll get lost in the episode. Nobody even don't know, nobody will keep it. But a, my point is basically development of breasts. And, uh, <laughs> and I had it when I was 14, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I told you, let's not talk about it. Let's not talk about it. It's like, it's right. They're like, I'll talk about Marty. Yeah. You know, I, I see Blaze right over that. I'll tell him. <laughs> I know, man. So, uh, which we can talk about it, but like, I think that you painted a, a really clear picture and, and we can get back to Marty when we talk about where you're at now, because like, dude, I, 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 I just, right. But anybody that knows me knows that like my dream job in the Navy has always been to be a fucking a sweat guy, man. Like in boot camp, like I could pass the PST. I went and talked to those guys and they were like, Oh, you're colorblind. Like, um, take your ass back to the fucking ship. And I was like, okay. Um, that's an excuse. I mean, there's waivers for everything. You didn't know that back then. Right. But like when I heard that you had like accomplished that and, and like that you were in that, you know, world, dude, I was so impressed and so proud of you, man. Like, 
Like, legitimately, I was like, damn, look at this motherfucker, like, getting this fucking shit done, man, you know? And um, I don't know, man, like, it's just, I'm serious, I'm being told I'm not blowing sunshine up your ass, you know, I would never do that, right? Like, dude, I was so fucking impressed. I was like, god damn, man, like, he's fucking doing it, man. Like, good for him, you know? um, There was a guy on our um, You knew him. Did you, do you remember Ken, Ken Utley? Utley. He was an EM1 electrician with me. Yeah. I remember yeah. Utley. Yeah. I remember Utley. He was at Swick School as a first class. They let him go as a first class somehow. But I saw him there. I was already a boat guy. And I was no like, shit. Ken Utley, what the fuck? He's like, what the fuck? And I'm like, like, he ended up quitting, I guess. But uh, yeah, they let him yeah. go. And I, I knew you would know him. Yeah. But that, that was a special yeah. circumstance because he was an E6 in his dress whites checking in. And I was like, they don't let E6s yeah. come swimming, you know? Yeah, so. that's dope. That's dope, man. Yeah, so um, let's talk about where you're at now. So um, as much, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you got discharged, right? Let's just, let's say that. I mean, I'll also say, like, this won't be the only episode we'll do. You you, you have too big of a story, dude, that, like, we're not going to be able to wrap this up in in, like, in, in one episode. Right. So like, there's a lot of shit that I want to talk about with you and uh, a lot of shit that I think that, that my listeners would want to hear about. Like I'm, I'm just being 100 with you. Right. And, um, but like, where do you, where do you find yourself now, man? Like when, when did you get out and to the extent that you want to share, what were the circumstances surrounding that? And then like kind of where, where do you find yourself now, man? Um, Okay, so I bought a house in Imperial Beach after that second deployment for $375,000. It was a duplex right on the corner of 2nd and Evergreen. It's literally on the same street as the Imperial Beach Pier. And my girlfriend at the time told me, don't buy this. It's too, too much of a piece of shit. It appraised, the VA appraisal was $359. The lady that owned it, <clears throat> she had just died. She owned 90 properties and left all of them to her five kids. And they got to make the decision on what they were going to do with them. So this house wasn't for sale, but I was looking at houses for sale. And I met this realtor and he told me about using um, the VA loan for four units. And I didn't know you could do that. I'm like, what's a unit? He's like, it's a livable space, you know, an apartment or a, a place you uh, rent, you know, has an address. And I was like, oh, so I could buy like a fourplex and have three people live there and pay rent while I live there. And he's like, yes. So I put in like 13 offers around San Diego on every four unit place I could find, but I got beat out every time by cash buyers because the VA loan was like two stringent requirements. You know, you got to strap your water heater and no crack paint, all this stuff. So nobody wanted to deal with it. So I found this place and it was in terrible shape and it had uh, people living in there for 12 years, paying the same 800 bucks a month for rent. And, uh, there was a dead cat on the floor when I toured it. There was a blanket of flies that left from the pantry and it made my real estate agent throw up outside. And uh, there was, it was just in terrible shape. And everyone told me don't buy it. So it appraised for 359. I met the sellers, one of the, one of the sons at the plank in IB, it's a bar. And uh, he said he would sell it to me for 375 or he was gonna list it. And that was his price. And I was like, fuck. So I had to come up with that money in cash. Well, I had just gotten a reenlistment bonus, the, the SB, you know, whatever rate I was at at the time, I think it was 60 grand or something. And so I had enough money to cover that, bought the place, 
<clears throat> on my second deployment, I designed what I wanted to do with it on Google SketchUp while I was in the Philippines with Vinny. Uh, I sent that to the city. They approved it <clears throat> conditionally, but I had to get blueprints. So I paid a guy that I found in Mexico 2500 bucks to sketch it all out. And then I got a bid from a contractor also in Mexico. And they built this place, basically the framework of it. And then I came in and did all the rest. Long story short, I sold that place for $1,117,000 in 2020. And I bought this place we're in right now, this commercial place. It was for sale for four twenty-five. dollars And the only reason I was even allowed to buy a commercial place is because I had a duplex. The, Imperial, the city of Imperial Beach gave me a, uh, a uh, what is it called? Business license because I was running a rental business, right? So technically, I mean, it's kind of a thin connection, but they let me buy a commercial space. Well, I had like $389,000 in my checking account and this place was four twenty-five. dollars And in order to get a business loan, you have to show your business. Well, what do you do? What do you sell? How do you make money from business? I didn't have a business. And luckily the guy that owned this place, I looked it up on, on the computer, the tax status. He had not paid taxes on it and he owed $180,000 in back taxes. So I bought this place for 180,000 cash, even though it was 420 at the time. Wow. Yesterday, I just did a walkthrough with a couple that's interested in buying this also cash. And the offer is supposed to be north, north of 650 from what I hear. It's, I don't have the offer yet, but yeah, what, I mean, that's all just from the VA loan and living below my standard. You know, like when I had that duplex in Imperial Beach, I rented both sides out and I built the detached garage into my place. And that's where I lived. And uh, I lived like that for three years. And I've always rented things out while I live there. This place has three bedrooms in it upstairs that I built. And, uh, and that's Troy, by the way. <laughs> and there's Dave. But uh, over there, there's three bedrooms up there. And uh, we, we live here. And I rent the, the bottom out and I rent the top out. And then I've got this RV right here that I fixed up. And I'm going to put that. Um, I own a house in Lompoc, California. When I got out of the Navy, I started working up there. But, okay, Thailand was my third deployment. I was dating a 20-year-old stripper, and I drove a V10 Audi R8 supercar. Okay? And she came to visit me in Thailand. And she took a picture of us at a Muay Thai fight and Facebook, like digitally fucking tagged me. And the master chief of 12 was on my Facebook friends. And he saw me there with her in Thailand. And he called my, my senior chief and was like, Hey, uh, you know, does he have his girlfriend out there? And he's like, you're going to have to ask Jeff, you know, his chief about that. My chief and my stripper girlfriend were friends at the time. And he told her she could go out there. So they threw a big shit fit and sent me back to SPT 12 and I had a DRB and uh, basically it went all the way up and they uh, actually, the guy from active valor, the master chief that always had the toothpick in the guy in that movie, he was mm -hmm. on my DRB and he was like, I'm trying to give you a course correction here. Like I was going down a bad path trying to say, my chief told me it was okay. Like I should have just in retrospect, I should have just said, yeah, I fucked up, you know, like, I let her come out there and see me on deployment. I know it's wrong, but people do it. And Thailand's not exactly a, a war zone. So, so anyway, I, I ended up getting 60 days restriction for that. And, uh, 
But then while I was on restriction, I got the email to go see the master chief. And he's like, you're going to have a uh, NEC review board. And so that the writing's on the wall mm -hmm. there. I wasn't cutting the mustard as a leader. I was an LPO of a detachment in charge of two $9 million boats and 10 guys. But my strength has never been really uh, people or leading people. I, I, instead of empowering my guys to do something, I would want to do it myself so I know it's right because I'm just, I'm just, I'm not a great leader. I'm more of a technical person. So uh, that I didn't really, I, there was nowhere, there was no safe space for me there anymore. And I could read that. So basically they, they took my SWIC pin and they said, you know, you need to re-rate. Well, I was already in for 17 years, 17 and a half years at this point. You know, I don't want to like get out of the Navy just three years short of retirement. And I had no option. I, they said, pick a rate. So I looked at the rates you didn't need any school for. And AO was one of them. Actually, they told me apply for what you want to be. And I was like, it was all main, mainly CB jobs. I was like, I want to be an equipment operator or, uh, you know, whatever. But they all required schools. So they just made me an AO1. I, I was an SB1 one day. The next day, I signed some letter and, you know, I'm AO1. And my master chief was like, hmm. you know, I was still wearing my pin on my camis. And he goes, hey, man, you know, I'm sorry, but I got to ask you to do it. And I was like, you can do it. <laughs> and he was like, Psh, ripped it off. It was like something yeah. out of the movies, you know. So, yeah, it was something I worked pretty hard for. And I thought it was a pretty stupid reason to lose it. But, I mean, it, I didn't lose my swig pin for taking my girlfriend to Thailand. I, I lost my pin because I wasn't meeting the standard in some way. And, I mean, that's how it goes. I still remember the entire Swick Creed, word for word. You want to hear that? Will that motivate you? <laughs> I do want to hear it. Yeah, actually. All right. I don't have any notes or anything, but let me see how I get it. In our nation's time of need, an elite brotherhood of sailors stands ready off distant shores and shallow rivers. Defending freedom, they serve with honor and distinction. I am proud to be one of these sailors. I am a special warfare combatant craft crewman, a quiet professional, tried tested and dedicated to achieving excellence in maritime special operations. I am a disciplined, hump, confident, and highly motivated warrior. My honor and integrity is beyond reproach, my commitment unquestioned. The American people depend on me to carry out my mission in a professional manner. I maintain my craft, my equipment, and myself to the highest level of combat readiness. I set the standard and lead by example. I will always complete the mission and leave no one behind. I am ready for war. I will close and engage the enemy with the full combat power of my craft. My actions will be decisive yet measured. My heritage comes from the sailors who operated the PT boats World War II and the combatant craft of Vietnam. The legacy of these warriors guides my actions. I'll always remember the courage, perseverance, and sacrifices made to guarantee my, our nation's freedom, and I'll do nothing to disgrace my proud heritage. On time, on target, never quit. Now, the only reason I remember that it does, is because you can't get out of the water unless you say the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, pain's a powerful fucking motivator. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, it might be the most powerful fucking motivator. Like when you want the pain to stop, you'll do almost anything. You know what I mean? That's, that's, the, that's why they make people do this shit because that's the best way. It's it's a complete reconditioning of your mind because of your body. That's it, dude. That's it. Must it. Be it I mean, and proven. you know, you look at, you know, you look at um, your ability to kind of take the, the path less traveled and to ha come up with innovative ways to make money off of real estate. And, um, you know, certainly a lot of those things are innate abilities that you have, 
you know, intelligence, motivation, things like that. But, you know, I think that you can't disregard the impact that being a, you know, a special operator has on your ability to do those things, man. Right. And yeah. It didn't, end, it didn't end the way that you probably imagined it, but like you shouldn't regret any of it, dude. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that you do. I don't know that you do. Right. I'm just telling you like you should, you, you fucking shouldn't, you know? Yeah. Honestly, sometimes I look around like all this crap in here is mine, you know? And I'm like, if I just would have not done the pushups, if I would have said DOR at any point, none of this would be how it is. I wouldn't have any of the things I have, you know? And like the reason I did them was because I was thinking of my daughter and I was thinking how much I hated my job in the Navy. And if I quit, then I know what the fuck's waiting for me on the other side. Back it, back to the Navy, motherfucker. Get, get back in the belly of the ship and run the damn generators or whatever. And I knew all that stuff. But all these new guys that were quitting, they have no idea. It's just, you know, you know what NSW is? It's a great recruiting tool. It lets guys join the Navy thinking they're going to be Navy SEALs. And next thing you know, you're a fucking cook. Get your ass, put that paper yeah. hat on, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a great recruiting tool. Yeah, I think if you look at, if you look at like the Army, man, they do almost all of their special operations is in-service procurement, right? Like they, they don't really recruit um, new accession to come into their special warfare community. Like they take their motivated E4s and E5s and then bring them into the, the special operations units, you know? Like you have yeah. to pass a lot of screenings even to get to that point. And we're a little, we're a lot more loose with it, I think. And maybe, maybe like our, our special warfare community is a little, uh, I don't know, a little stuck on itself. Like, uh, we don't want fleet sailors like bitch. That's exactly who you want. That's, that's who you want. You want, you want the motherfucker that's stood fucking like countless hours of watch <laughs> and fucking had to climb through bullshit in the fucking bilge. And just yeah. did it with a fucking smile. Like, that's the guy you want in special warfare. Not some fucking, like, okay, he's from fucking Montana and he hunts fucking elk. I don't give a fuck. Like, sounds like a pussy. Like, join the fucking Navy, bitch, and have some fucking idiot tell you what to do. Then you really find out what you're fucking made of. You know what I mean? So, you know what? If, if they ask me for but I digress. <laughs> if they ask me for feedback on that, here's what I would say the number of guys that make it through that are from the fleet is less than dudes right off the street. I didn't really re mm. intend that for that to rhyme, but it did. Um, but honestly, to make it through that program, you just need to be like mentally and physically tough, but all the experiences of that, the Navy gives you and stuff, uh, nobody, nobody values that shit until shit hits the fan. And you're the guy putting in the fucking water pump from an old, wd-40 can because you've done that before and you're right. a great you know you this guy can run way faster than me and do way more pull-ups but when the battery's dead on his rib what's he gonna do i'm the one that's climbing up under there with a screwdriver he's getting it started so the mm. aircraft so the, so the air force c-17 can take off you know like you just need yeah. there's got to be at least one of those guys on every team you know one like right that was that was my value yeah, that's what i sure thought uh, yeah, yeah, I love it, man. Tech at twelve, even though I was an SB, there was engineers that worked with us. Yeah, but sometimes I'd be like working with them, and my buddies would make fun of me, like, "Damn, dude, you're a fucking SB, but you're like the best tech here." Like that's just my, I, I like working on stuff, you know. So. Yeah, that's what's up, man. <laughs> yeah, I think um, 
I'll, I'll just kind of give you some advice, right? Like, I think you sell yourself short on leadership. I think you're a very um, relatable kind of guy. You know, so if you think that like, oh, I'm not a great leader or whatever, like, I think that probably that's one of those like self-fulfilling prophecy type things. If you tell yourself repeatedly that you're not a good leader, then you don't look in the mirror and realize all of the leadership attributes that you actually have. So for me to you, um, yeah, I think that's probably, that's probably something that you need to, you know, stop saying to yourself, right? Like maybe you're not going to lead a thousand people, but you know, 10 people in uh, a business that, that you are passionate about, that you get to share your skill sets with, with people that you hire that share, share your same set of values. I think you'd be a phenomenal fucking leader. You know, so, um, yeah, I don't know. That's just, as me to you, dude, like, don't, don't sell yourself short, man. Like, you're a good leader. You're a good leader. You just, um, are telling yourself you're not, you know what I'm saying? Oh, well, thanks. Gee, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, dude. So here's what I'm doing. Uh, guess where I'm going tomorrow? Where? Well, I was fucking waiting for you. Fucking delayed reaction, motherfucker. Goddamn. What? Did you make a noise? Uh, no, I'm heading to Singapore, man. I'm heading to Singapore tomorrow. Uh, going to visit our detachment out there for a few days. So pretty stoked about that, man. Um, and I get to travel a good bit in this job. And then, like, you know, what's next for me is, I don't know, um, probably working with, like, Heroic Hearts project and doing some other shit down in Texas. I, I just have a feeling like, that like our paths are going to align um, five years from now, man. I don't know. Call it karma or something, right? But um, I'm curious kind of like, where, like what's, what's next for you, Billy? Like where do you see yourself in, I don't know, five years from now? Like what's the five-year plan? Uh I don't know. I, I have been kind of doing things by the seat of my pants and it just kind of works out sometimes. I don't really have, like when I was getting out of the Navy, uh, it was not under great. I got a general under honorable conditions thing because I got in a domestic dispute with this girl. And even though the charges ended up getting dropped and all that with civilian, the, the Navy, I was still retiring like while that stuff was pending. So even though that, even though our, they let me retire, it was as an E, they give me E5 retirement pay, even though it says E6 on my ID. But anyway, the, uh, the, as soon as I got out of the Navy, I still had an active TSSCI clearance and I went and got a job, this contractor. I was a facility systems engineer at a place that encapsulated top secret NRO satellites. So that was a huge change. You know, I was sitting around here with these guys playing chess and, you know, building Legos or whatever the hell we do here. And then I get this job offer for 120 grand a year that I really enjoyed. And, uh, I did that contract for six months. And since I didn't, I wasn't using my VA loan, I bought a house up there and I rented that out and I remodeled that. I built a whole upstairs that didn't exist before. And, uh, that's the reason I bought that RV. I built a full RV hookup spot in my backyard for sewage, water, uh, you know, electricity. So I want to drive that up there and rent it out because there's a lot of people that go into that town 
to do the same thing I did, you know, like contracting work for the uh, Space Force. So instead of getting a hotel for a hundred bucks a night, if you could rent, you know, the 27 foot Winnebago might be a better option. So I, that's my, that was my target. That was my focus. I'm in a CNC school right now. It's, it's, it's free. It's called a workshop for warriors. And so machining is always something I've never known much about. You know, I was always scared to do math and everything, but well, hell, I just made this thing today. Let me show you. I feel like a computer programmer right now because I had to type in all the values for these holes and everything on like a Microsoft text file. And then I made this machine do it, you know, it's, yeah. it's cool. Like by the end of it, I should be able to make almost whatever I want. Um, well, I mean, it's basically robotics programming. You know it what is, I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you're, telling, you're, you're telling the robot what to do. Right. Yeah. But I'm learning the modeling software too, like how to make things in SolidWorks and, so I was on that path, fix up the RV, get it to Lompoc, continue with this school. I'm using the GI bill, which I, I didn't know this. And, and Dave kind of clued me in after the fact, but they take a whole year of my GI bill and they're only giving me four months of uh, BH because my mm -hmm. school is only, well, four months. And so even though it's only a four month school, they're taking a year of my GI bill. And I, I wasn't cool with that. I don't like that, but. Yeah, as far as that goes, I'm not working right now. I had a job as the plant manager for air gas on Vandenberg Space Force Base. I was in charge of pumping all the liquid nitrogen through the vaporizer towers and off into the rockets. Every rocket that launched off that base, I was there for that. So to get into that realm and start working those cool jobs as soon as I got out, I didn't expect that. I was not ready to get a nice job like that. And it just kind of happened. So. Yeah. But then this guy I was working with one time at the air gas plant, <clears throat> he was friendly with me. He had been to my house, helped me install a washer and dryer. Uh, we'd gone out to dinner as like a group. Every time there's a rocket launch, we all went out on the company card. Nobody cared. That company makes $32 billion a year by taking regular air and putting it through a compressor and turning it into oxygen and liquid oxygen, you know, liquid nitrogen and so 32 billion a year air gas makes. Well, anyway, I loved that job, but I was cleaning up one day. We had put some plastic bags over these valves and I found a piece of electrical conduit on the ground, like a flexible outdoor, you know, like conduit for wire to go through. And I, I poked him in his butt from like six feet away and I go, Hey man, where's your harness? He was leaning out over the rail, like cleaning a security camera lens or something. I go, boop, I booped him. And he like got all nuts. He was like, motherfucker, I'll fuck you up. You know, like I was like, whoa, dude, like, uh, you know, it's just stuff you do in the Navy. It's people, people aren't cool with it. And I learned that the hard way. He reported me to HR and uh, I had just put my guy, one of my guys in for an award for the company. And I get the call from HR and it's the like director of HR. And he's like, oh, is this, uh, you know, th this is who I am, whatever. And I thought he was calling to tell me Noel, the, the guy I put the award in for, um, got it, you know, cause I did a really cool write up on him with pictures and, um, you know, like recommending my guy, I, I was the manager. So yeah, I guess I was a leader. Yeah. I was, I was a plant manager. I had guys under me. Um, and this guy was under me, but he, he reported it to HR and they called me and said, we wanted to call and ask you about this incident where you poked someone in the rear end or whatever. And I, I gave my like honest statement about what happened at the time. I was like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't being, I thought I was just kind of being, making light of the situation because he was leaning out without a harness. I didn't want to be like, hey, 
like, get down from there right now. Where's your harness? And, you know, and I didn't poke him in a sexual way or anything like that. They just fired me and right. him. Like, they, they, I'll tell you. Oh, shit. Yeah. They fired me and him. Yeah. So, um, but whatever. I mean, I, I moved back to San Diego and now I'm doing this school. It's working out. But it taught me a lesson about, you know, the interactions with, I'll say, normal people. You can't treat everybody like they were in the Navy with you. And, and, and there's no real, like, transition advice for that. I don't care what TAPS program you go to. Like, what there needs to be is a video on how, like, how serious HR can come down on you for things that you think are retarded. Like, everyone I told yeah. the story to laughs about it. You know, like, what? You poked a guy in the ass and you got fired? I'm like, yeah. No, that's for real. I really did. Yeah. So what I'll say is that it doesn't fucking surprise me. And that's why I'm never going to work for another person ever again. Like when I'm <laughs> done with this, like, you're going dude, I'm so five. sick. I'm so, no, but I'm not working for a company, dude. Like, um, I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but, um, it will not be something where I have to answer to anybody. You know, the people I want to answer to are going to be like my business partners, um, the people, my employees, I'll answer to them, honestly. Right. I'll answer to my family, but like a boss or like HR or fucking any of that shit, not a fucking chance, bro. Like I might end up like, um, old girl fucking from Terminator, you know what I'm saying? Like just fucking like bury a bus and fill it with guns, you know, like, fuck it. Let's ride. <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> it might get weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I don't know, man. Like, well, um, I'm excited to watch that. I'm I just, excited to see the show, you know, I want to see. What yeah, dude. Do. I mean, this is, this is like, this is like the beginning of it, right? Like this allows me to talk to everybody and kind of like build, uh, you know, one little, one little piece of what, you know, becomes something much bigger. I mean, I could see a place, Billy, like I'm be 100 with you. Like I want to run retreats at some point. I have property in Louisiana and, at some point, I want to run retreats down there, and the things I want to do on these retreats, you know, maybe three, four-day retreats, right? And I want to invite men down that don't know how to do shit, right? Like, I want to come teach you how to drive a tractor. I want to teach you how to shoot a gun, and I want to teach you how to fucking, like, you know, tie a fucking hook on a fucking line. Like, yeah, you can watch YouTube, or you can come actually fucking do it. And then I want to eat a bunch of mushrooms with maybe, like, uh, Kieran there, you know what I'm saying, to guide us through it. And, yeah. uh, and like, you know, get our fucking minds right and veterans, but not just veterans, right? Like just like men, you know what I mean? And, uh, and women too, you know, and like teach people fucking like skills, you know, and I could see a place where we're working together, where I'm asking you to come down to, to help me with these retreats at some point. Right. Um, yeah. and not just you, I've got a Rolodex of people that, that, I want to bring into the circle when the time comes, you know what I mean? And, um, anyways, I just, uh, I don't know, dude, like it was good to see you when I was out there this last time. Cause it's been like literally years and years and years since I've seen you. Yeah. And, uh, I think, I think that if I were to give you any advice, man, like you don't need to work for anybody either. Like, fuck that. You're too old for that shit. Like fuck applying for a job. Fuck meeting some stupid fucking like security clearance bullshit. Like fuck all that, man. 
Like start your own fucking thing. Like do your thing. You have skill sets. You got charisma. You got personality. You've got a network. You've got you've got a little bit of seed cash to fucking start it. Like find the thing that you're. We're too fucking look, dude. We're too old at this point to be working for somebody, man. And like my advice to you would be, like find the thing that you fucking love. Like thing that you wake up in the morning and you're like, man, I really can't wait to do this. And then do that. Like do that. Do that until, like Matt Vincent says, right? Matt Vincent's a dude I have on the podcast, and his fucking saying is not dead yet. And what he says is, find the thing that you love and fucking let it kill you, right? Ooh, that's yes, good. That's fucking what it's all about, it's right? Less, less right? Heroin. I mean, I he said it, not me, but that's what it is, man. Like, find the thing you love and then let it kill you. Yeah, unless it's fucking, yeah, unless it's fucking smack, right? Like, yeah. you know. I mean, hey, don't do that. A lot of people- don't do that, right? Hey, Matt, Matt, there's a lot of people following your advice right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In Northern California, yeah. specifically, except it's meth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, there's guys in San yeah. Diego. The other day, there was a guy openly smoking meth on the sidewalk out of a, a glass pipe. He was all, <gasps> and actually, yeah. I smelled it. It's the first time yeah. in my life I've ever smelled meth. My window was down. I drove by this guy. I've, so, I've smelled it. I've smelled it a couple times. It's fucking toxic. It smells yeah, like burning tires or some shit. Metal, like yeah, me- metallic almost. Yeah. The, the tinge really. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> really. <laughs> it's a formidable smell. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can't name one ingredient that was used to make it. I've seen Breaking Bad. It looks like blue syrup. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's fucking rock candy, I guess. I don't fucking know. Anyways. What do you think hey, about that? Billy, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, go ahead, go ahead. Well, what if the government made all drugs not only not illegal anymore, but gave out all the deadly drugs for free, and then the people that decide to take it make decisions to either take it or not? You know what I mean? Let what loves you kill you. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah. So what you're what you're proposing is a government sponsored um, <laughs> survival of the fittest. Yeah. Vis a vis chemicals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a terrible idea. <laughs> Everyone that's ever smoked anything made a decision to do it. You know. Yeah, I'm about to go smoke a cigarette right now. It's killing me. I love them. <laughs> Oh, you got to get up on that word. Slow death, man. Sucking that dick of death. That dick well. of death, baby. <laughs> hey, man. Listen, I'm um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut it here, man. We still have a lot to go, though. I, I kind of feel shitty. Um, I typically don't go more than about an hour and a half, and um, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna jump back in. What is it, June? Let's plan on jumping back in maybe in like August, bro. Okay. And we'll, yeah. we'll fucking tie a bow on this thing. Cause I think there's yeah. a few more things we need to go into. And, uh, this could probably be a five hour fucking episode if we, if we let it be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I put an offer in to buy a Masonic lodge in Florida. So maybe that's where I'll be next time we talk. <laughs> uh, I'll come visit. I can't <laughs> wait. Keep the altar, yeah. keep hey. the altar. You know what I'm saying? Google, yeah. Keep the altar. <laughs> Google image this town in Florida, D U N N E L L, Dunnellin, Florida. Just go to Google Images and type Dunnellin, Florida, and you'll see the most beautiful place I've ever been. I went there when I was a kid with my church, 
crystal clear water. You can see 40 yeah. feet down. So, yeah, that's where I want to be. Donnellan, right Florida. Yeah, yeah. And that's Don't where you want to land. land. Is that yeah, where you want to buy? I want to buy that church there. Yeah. It's halfway in between my yeah. brother and my daughter. So it's like right in the middle of Florida. So, fuck yeah, man. I'll be yeah. in Texas, man. So, like, uh, like I said, five years from now, man, I could definitely see us, uh, some doing shit, you know, doing some shit together. Maybe, maybe we'll go fucking like, uh, you know, get a couple of fucking motorcycles and just do a cross country or some shit. Fucking video the whole thing, you know, eat a bunch of shrooms, smoke a bunch of weed. It'd be fucking good times. Get a class A RV. I have a, a thousand pound motorcycle lift that bolts to the back of an RV and lifts your motorcycle up over the engine compartment. Yeah. So money. Fuck yeah. yeah, dude. Let's do it. It was, it was a four thousand. All right, Billy. Hey man, listen. Right. <laughs> hey, uh, so, you know, I'll leave you with this, man. Um, number So two things, right? Number one, once your school is done, um, you know, uh, when, when, when Heroic Hearts calls, I've already told you this, man. It's not a personal thing for me, except that I want to I wa I see you. Um, I don't want to say get better. That's not what I'm saying, right? I want to see you go through that process selfishly because I want to see the results of it, right? With somebody that I truly know. Um, but also just because man, like, um, and don't take this the wrong way, right? Like since I've known you, everybody else loves you and everybody else sees like all the great things about you. And you, you just always, you, you, you always kind of like, and sometimes I know you're joking, but it, it feels like you don't have the self-confidence that everybody else has in you. Right. And um, I feel like there's some things that you could probably work out in the fucking jungle of Peru, man. And I really want you to do that. Right. Okay. Um, so that's, that's number one. Number two is I just want to like express to you that I like, uh, I fucking care about you, man. I care about you. You're one of the fucking boys, right? Like run down the list of the boys. Okay. Fucking boxes, fucking wild ass, Dave, TJ, Ronnie, fucking Cameron, right? Dr. Billy Dean, like. <laughs> that's it dude right yeah. like um and there's 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 a periphery of people around that but like that's the core group right and like i um i love you guys and, and like you're 100 percent um one of the people that i care deeply about man i just want to see you i, I want to see you like have all the good things in life you know what i'm saying thanks man yeah i got nothing but res respect for you i always have like you're 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 way more impressive, but this is what you're talking about. I shouldn't even say that. You're, you're doing well, too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you're learning. You're learning, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. All right, man. Okay. All right, buddy. All right. All right. Hey, listen, uh, I'm going to hit stop record. Just hang tight for a second, and uh, we'll wrap it up. Just let me finish like this. Hey, listen, guys, if you made it to the end of this podcast, I really appreciate your uh, time and and um, you, you tuning in and, and listening to the things that we talked about today. We're not done. Me and Billy are going to do another episode here pretty soon, I think. And uh, But what I do want to tell you is if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you're trying to do something good with your life. You're trying to improve yourself. You're trying to get better. And uh, the only way to do that is just to keep going. And you're going to have setbacks and shit's going to get fucking in the way. And you're going to feel like a piece of shit half the time. But the only way to get to the thing that you're trying to get to is just to keep going. Like, don't fucking quit. 
and keep rising.